Welcome to Adventures with Spirit. Adriana is a meditation instructor, personal development coach, and author of Tea and Cake with Demons, A Buddhist Guide to Feeling Worthy. And she is here with us today to talk all about meditation. And as a meditation teacher, she cut her teeth teaching secular Buddhist studies and meditation at the Interdependence Project beginning in 2012. And she's since hosted retreats both internationally and stateside at the Omega Institute and was a founding teacher at Mindful, New York City's premier drop-in meditation studio, where she served as a mentor and faculty for their 300-hour teacher training program. Oh my word, we are so lucky to have her here. When she is not on the cushion, she can be found fixing up an old house with heaps of charms in the Hudson Valley of New York. Hi, I'm Andrea Neville. And I'm Jessica Paschke. We are psychic mediums who like to consider our spiritual experiences as adventures. We've discovered that sometimes the adventure is wonderful and unexpected, and sometimes it's really uncomfortable. So join us as we chat about spiritual adventures and answer your questions, giving you specific tools and practices you can use to navigate the journey with more confidence. Welcome to Adventures with Spirit. Hi, Adriana. We're so happy you're here. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. What a treat. Uh, I'm thrilled to hear everything you have to share. We are so excited you're here. I have to say, I have to be totally open here. I've known Adriana since my 20s. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so we were roommates when we were both working in a restaurant together in New York City. Um, and so we've had lots of adventures together um, of our own outside the spirit realm, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and um, so it's always a joy to have uh, her light and her and her just her presence, her energy um, enter a room. Um, I know this intimately. <laughs> so we're so we're so glad that you're here and and to talk about um, meditation. I mean, you're like the expert in in this. Like it's so wonderful. You know, I think one of the most common things we hear from our listeners and our clients is how hard meditation is. And I think that part of that is their perception of what meditation is and is not. And so can we just get that off the table right away? Like, can we just talk about that for a second before we dive into the details? Absolutely. Um, It is so kind of you to call me an expert in meditation because I feel like in the grand scope of things, I've been practicing for like five minutes. (laughs) Um, in the grand, in the grand scheme of things, um, very, very kind. And I, I I think one of the things that I, um, appreciate the most about the practice of meditation and just the whole perspective and attitude around meditation is that, um, it is something that we never really become an expert in, uh, which Mm -hmm. speaks right to your question, because I, I, I think one of the greatest obstacles that we can potentially face to a meditation practice is the sense that we should somehow be good at it. And not only should we be good at it, but we should be good at it right off the bat. That it is so simple as a practice, right? It is so simple. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and you hear all of the rhetoric, rhetoric around it, talking about how simple it is that if you can sit, sit down for five minutes and just be with your breath, um, that's it. That's all there is to it. And yet, and yet, <laughs> and yet, <laughs> it is so simple and not at all easy because we don't really have a lot of practice as human beings in the context of the culture that we live in, just sitting mm -hmm. down in silence and stillness with no other stimulus except for mm -hmm. ourselves and just sitting with our own internal life um, for even five minutes, for even five minutes can feel like a monumental task. Um, and so to your point, I think one of the things that can be the greatest obstacle to a meditation practice is the sense that we should somehow be good at it. And I always say, um, what a heavy expectation to put on yourself that if you've right. been going 90 miles per hour, mentally, emotionally, physically for how many years to slam on the brakes mm -hmm. And expect that you should somehow now be still and serene and calm in meditation practice is like a really brutal expectation to put on yourself. Um, so, so just kind of like debunking that that myth, that expectation of meditation right off the bat is that you know it, it's potentially something that we're never going to get good at, and that's okay. That's not the point, right? Because there are some days where it's mm -hmm. easier. And some days where it's yes. harder mm. and it doesn't matter how many years you've done it, you know, it's true. you can sit down and be like, wow, it's like, I've never done this before. <laughs> Today yeah. is challenging. And that, that explanation was very powerful. Thank you for that. You know, that, that, that perspective on the meditating yeah. practice, cause it is a practice. Yeah. yeah. And I think too, well, I'd be curious to hear more about how you, how you kind of got into it because I for me and I don't know about you Andrea but for me I was looking for something to anchor me like I knew that I needed I needed that daily anchor I needed life to slow down for a minute because things were changing so fast that if I didn't give myself a break I would break break right so how did you how did you get into meditation like where, where did where did this mm -hmm. come from mm -hmm. and I I just want to highlight what you said because I think it's such a, a a beautiful kind of follow-up, which if the expectation is not that we are going to ever get good at meditation or that we are supposed to be good, which, you know, how refreshing to enter into something without mm -hmm. the expectation of being good at it. To hear you say, for me, it was just a way to slow down and give myself a break. Um, but for many of us, maybe that is the point. It's not to be good at it. It's just to have some kind of practice that we engage in where we are intentionally taking the time to just slow down and give ourselves a break, um, which is very different than engaging in something to get good at it. Uh, True, because then when you do it, it doesn't matter how you do it because you're doing it. You're doing it. it. Exactly. You're doing it. <laughs> you're doing it. You're doing it. You're sitting with your breath in your body staying open to whatever it is that arises in that moment. And it could be a waterfall of 
thoughts, physical sensations, emotions, external stimuli. You know, we could be bouncing all over the place or it could be just a tiny drip. Um, but regardless, we're doing it. We're doing it. We're slowing down enough mm-hmm. to just see what happens when we stop. Yeah. That's sometimes uncomfortable for people, isn't it? To stop and see what happens. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I think that's where the hesitation and for some, the fear comes in. If for begin, I'm thinking of a beginner question um, that sometimes we get. And there's that fear of just stopping. Oh, 100%. 100%. I mean, the, the going and the doing and the making and the creating and the, you know, constant movement conceals a lot potentially that we don't want to look at or don't want to feel Mm. or don't want to be with. Um, And to some extent, we never really have to, right? Because we can just be distracted by something else, something that is more present, more entertaining um, forever. All we have to do is reach in our pocket, pull out our phone, hit an app, boom. (laughs) It's true. And those things are numbing, right? Mm -hmm. Like they can numb us out. And maybe that's why we use them. And meditation is the opposite of numbing out, I I feel, um, for myself. You know, it's about really getting a good look of what's really there, you know. Yeah. So I, I agree. Love that. So what kind of meditation do you practice? Um, so because there's so many different. Oh, there's kinds. so many different kinds. And I'm so glad that you said that um, because I think it can all get kind of conflated under the same banner when somebody says, oh, you meditate. Oh, great. I meditate, too. Um, you know, there's some assumption that we have a shared language and understanding of meditation when it can be. Yeah very, very different modalities because there is so much meditation out there. Um, Mm -hmm. so I, I practice in, um, Tibetan Buddhism. Um, so the meditation that I do comes from a Buddhist background, um, which a lot of modern day meditation in the way that we talk about it, uh, like mindfulness meditation, um, comes from a, a, a Buddhist background, but has made been made secular um, in a way that makes it more approachable and quantifiable. We've been able to kind of like separate it from its um, philosophical roots a little bit and take it into the laboratory and and study it over the course of 40 years and see what actually happens to the human mind and the human body when we are practicing meditation, which I think has a lot to do with the rise in popularity around meditation. You know, anytime that we see studies that say, you know, meditation is great for um, sleeping better and cognitive function and stress reduction and, um, you know, all of these kind of amazing benefits. Um, what we're talking about is the, the research that's been done around mindfulness meditation. Uh, so that's, that's my background. That's kind of the, where I come from in the meditation world. But yeah, to your point, there's so many different kinds of meditation out there. What else is out there that would be different? Like what would be some terms that people might hear? And can you just kind of tell us if you can, to the best of your ability, maybe like what are, you know, the purpose or the intent or it's, it's gotta be a little different. So can you just kind of give us a little brief thing for people out there wanting to start meditation, but not really knowing which type to kind of grab? Yeah, totally. Um, Which going back to your original question of, you know, meditation can be somewhat 
intimidating or people feel like they can't mm-hmm. do it. Um, you yeah. know, to your point, I have so much encouragement to just shop around a little bit <laughs> and try out different <laughs> types of meditation. Uh, See what your exactly, style is. You know, this, this is not necessarily what I'm going for. Um, try out something else. So one of the forms of meditation that is distinctly different, um, but that I, I think has also kind of entered the popular lexicon is um, Vedic meditation. So Vedic meditation mm-hmm. is TM, transcendental meditation. Um, it is, you know, the, the Beatles, the Maharishi, uh, the David Lynch Foundation, Deepak Chopra, um, uh, mantras, receiving your mantra, meditating twice a day, 20 minutes, that all falls in the, the Vedic end of meditation. And one of the best mm-hmm. ways that I've heard it described from a, a Vedic practitioner is that the, the purpose of Vedic meditation is to transcend the mind. Whereas the purpose of any of these kind of Buddhist-based meditations like um, mindfulness or loving kindness or um, is to tame the mind. So it's, it, it does serve very different purposes where one is um, meant to transcend the, the thinking mind and the other is meant to um, tame the thinking mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's amazing. Yeah. It's really totally interesting to hear it explained that way. Yeah, because I think yeah. it's important if you're starting meditation to know that there isn't, like we said, there isn't one way to do it and not every way may work for you when you first start out either, right? Like you're going to find the thing that sings to your soul and that's the path that you're going to start with and you've got to play with things first to figure out yeah. to figure out what that Absolutely. is. Absolutely. I mean, I think like anything else, there has to be um, some sincere enthusiasm to do it. Like some, like some real desire of like, oh yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I want to do this. Even if we're like dragging our feet a little bit, like, oh, do I want to do this today? Not really. Um, it's something that we have enough of a connection to, um, that there's a, there's a genuine motivation. Uh, no, a commitment. Yeah. Commitment to yourself your meditation practice. Absolutely. And an enthusiasm in the process where the, where the process is, um, fulfilling enough, we get enough out of the process that it isn't just about the results, uh, that we know the results Mm -hmm. are going to pay off. And so we kind of like drag ourselves through the process to like get to the good part. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes. Which again, I think to your point is like finding what works for us. Uh, one mm-hmm. one really great hint or clue as to what actually works for us is what what do we um, enjoy? <laughs> like what feels good in the process um, rather than just the results that we want to you know, reap the benefit of at some point. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. Um, Gosh, I have so many questions, Andrea. So I would say, <laughs> what's at the top of your mind? Like, it could go so many ways with this. Tying in with our theme, right? This year for the, so I would say, how does meditation help one understand themselves? Yeah, um, it is the best. Okay, I'm biased. I'm just going to come right out and say this. I'm obviously very biased. <laughs> it's okay. We'll allow the bias. However. <laughs> um, it is the wow, like the 
the greatest modality that I have found personally um, for getting to know ourselves because we are in meditation sitting down again and looking inward without distraction and just getting a front row view of our own operating system. Oh, here's my thoughts. Oh, here are the thoughts that are repetitive. Oh, now I can start to see patterns. This is where my mind goes when I'm not looking. Oh, here's, here's my feeling. Here's my body. Here's how I actually feel in my body. Here's where I'm holding tension. Here are the emotions that arise when I have a thought like this. Oh, that's interesting. What is it to just feel the emotion and the way that it expresses in the body? Oh, here are the stories that I'm now telling myself to keep the emotion going, to perpetuate the emotion. Okay, well, what happens if I, if I drop the storyline a little bit and I just come back to the feeling in my body? Oh, now here's where my mind goes again. So the entire process of meditation is just <laughs> sitting still as a captive audience with a direct view of your own internal life. And so it would be impossible, I would think, I mean, I could be completely off on this, but I would be, it would be impossible from my perspective, to not have a, 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 a fuller, more robust working understanding of oneself engaging in a meditation process, because that's all we're doing is we're just, we're sitting mm-hmm. with ourselves and just seeing what happens when I'm just in my own company. Um, you know, which I, I think is also potentially a really beautiful residual effect of, of meditation practice is that we're essentially non-verbally communicating to ourselves over and over and over again. Every time that we sit down on the cushion, hey, you know what? My own company matters enough to me. It's worth enough to me that I'm willing to make space and time for it. Yeah, I love that. I do and too. I like the way you described here's my body, here are my thoughts. Oh, this is the stories. Did you all hear how much was going on? Like, I know the common misconception is you're going to close your eyes, you're going to breathe and your mind's going to go blank. And y'all that, that, that maybe would happen, but, but that's not necessarily, that's not necessarily, (laughs) you know, (laughs) the point when you're, you, you're, you're observing so many other things, right? like so many other things before, you know, you're even looking at that. Um, And there sounds like there's just such curiosity that comes with, with your, the way that you meditate, you know, like, oh, I wonder, I wonder why this feeling is connected to this thought. And I wonder what the story is connected to that. And you, you just kind of keep pulling yourself back into the, to the moment. But I love how, how you describe that. I think it's really important for people to understand or, you know, or get a glimpse of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that curiosity piece that you just highlighted is so key, and it's right there in the instruction manual. Um, one of one of the the definitions of mindfulness that I come back to over and over and over and over again because it it really is like such a, a pithy little how to um, when it comes to a mindfulness practice, whether it be sitting or engaging in the world mindfully is laid out by John Kabat-Zinn, who founded Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. And he says that mindfulness is the awareness that arises when we're paying attention on purpose in the present moment 
and without judgment. And it's that non-judgment piece that I think really distinguishes what a mindfulness practice is rather than just like everyday paying attention, right? We're paying attention mm-hmm. in a particular way, which is non-judgmentally. And the inverse of judgment is curiosity. So one could say that we're, we're paying attention in a way that is very present and curious. Huh. What's this? Mm-hmm. What's here? Those some of our favorite words, aren't they, Jessica? They are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Curious. So I'm thinking of the duality of our audience. So I know we have some beginners, welcome. <laughs> and we have some people who are, you know, advanced, have been doing their work or practice spiritually or meditating for many years. So can you give us kind of a brief... Mm-hmm. intro for both of those audiences so we can meet people where they are yes. kind of an overview of like how how do we get started or how do we uh, take it deeper continue take it deeper yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah I think getting started there are so many phenomenal um apps and recorded meditations out there so in, in getting started, again, I think we want to clear away as many expectations as possible just to give us the easiest inroad. Like how can I how can I make this as as simple and as kind of weightless for myself as possible? Um, and there's so much support out there in the realm of, of apps and recorded meditations. I think that is such a great place to start five minutes a day, you know, five, five minutes. Yeah. And release expectations. Yeah. Of, of what it, what it should be. And I think, you know, even for people who have been practicing for a while, you know, you practice for a while and you get a sense of like, oh, this is a good meditation. I want all of my meditations to be like that one time when I was sitting in the sun <laughs> and it was like warm and I was wearing a cozy sweater and I had my warm tea and like, mm, it was a perfect oh, day. Is good. And, oh, such a good, like I, I now want all of my meditations to feel like that. And if they don't, mm-hmm. then it wasn't a good meditation. So I think even for people who've been mm-hmm. practicing for a while to, to, release any expectation of what it could be or what it should be. Um, which, you know, going back to curiosity as being a favorite word in this space, um, it allows us when we step into our meditation practice to go, huh, let's just see what this is. It allows our meditation practice an opportunity to surprise us because Mm. it could be anything. It's pure potential. When we walk into it with no expectations, it is pure potential. Yeah, well, that's wonderful. And just because it's different doesn't mean it's bad <laughs> or it wasn't as good as something. Before, yeah. Right. I'm I'm sorry. I need to go now because I just want to go meditate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just sitting here going, I'm loving this, but I'm like, oh, I want to go get surprised right now. <laughs> I'm so curious what the surprise will yeah. be. <laughs> um, which of course, I mean, to your point, Andrea, is something that we can, it's an attitude that we develop in sitting meditation practice that we can take off of the cushion. Mm-hmm. And the more, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, um, but the, the more that we become familiar with 
what the lived experience is of being in the present moment and just mm. how it is like, oh, it's, it's like crackling, right? It's so immediate. It's like crackling with possibility and potential and like pah, anything could happen. Um, mm-hmm. I once had a, a TV producer tell me that the, the thrill of live television is like, boom, anything can happen. Like in any moment, the unexpected. And that is something that people live for, right? Like we, we love that, that, yeah. that feeling of like, ooh. Um, yeah, the adventure. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly, the adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, and the same is true in, in, in meditation practice and really in life. Wow. So, so there it is. But I'm just like, I know, I'm just sitting here like, I skipped my meditation today. So I need to go right now. <laughs> Thank you. And I mean that genuinely. <laughs> Have you ever gotten to the end of an Adventures with Spirit episode and wished it had gone on longer? Well, you're in luck. Do you know that most of our episodes have extended versions? It's super easy to unlock the extended version of any episode. Just sign up for our free newsletter and we will drop that extended episode right into your inbox. So head on over to www.adventureswithspirit.com to sign up today. Um, you know, I know that we all have different experiences in, in life that we bring in to our meditation practices, but I had someone message me just a few days ago, actually it coincided with this. I thought it was what an interesting, what an interesting thing to drop in my inbox. And they are, they want to meditate, but due to whatever, they're afraid to close their eyes. That makes them panic when they close their eyes. Um, and, or afraid of that sensation that happens when they close their eyes. Can you, can you speak a little bit about that and the ways that we can adjust our meditation practice to fit our, our lived experiences? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so the good news is that traditionally mindfulness meditation, um, shamatha practice, which just means calm abiding in Sanskrit, that's where mm-hmm. mindfulness practice comes from, um, is practiced with eyes open. With eyes open. Because <laughs> if um, we are essentially becoming more familiar and more intimate with our moment to moment experience that also includes our environment. Our environment becomes very much a part of our meditation practice where we're, we're holding internal and external stimuli in this kind of like big wide open field of our awareness. So historically the practice is done with eyes open Uh, just sliding the gaze down the bridge of the nose. So the gaze is cast three to five feet in front of us. And rather than looking at anything specific, it's almost as though we're looking through space. So the gaze becomes really soft and hazy. Mm -hmm. And in that way, we're able to take in our peripheral vision and just stay open to our surroundings. Um, which can be very grounding in a practice. There's something so sobering and immediate of knowing, oh, I'm here. I'm right Mm -hmm. here. I'm not anywhere else. I'm just right here. It's that present moment. Yeah, absolutely. So that's the good news is that historically (laughs) practice is done with eyes open. Um, So if it feels a little bit 
claustrophobic or unsafe to practice with eyes closed, um, that's a really good option is to practice with eyes, eyes open. Um, and I, I think it's, it is such a great question because it, it, it does bring up this broader question of what is it that we need in order to feel safe in practice? Mm -hmm. Because there is very little chance that we are going to be able to relax on a, on a gross level, much less on a nervous system, subtle level, uh, if we are feeling unsafe. Um, so, so doing whatever we need to do to feel safe and to remind ourselves that, that in this moment, there's so little happening in the present moment. There's so little happening in, in this very moment. I am safe. Um, yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. 100%. Um, Okay, so we have to talk about this because I want to. This is one of my favorite things to read. <laughs> and it's our podcast, so we get to. Um, you wrote a book. I did. I wrote a book. I love your book. <laughs> um, and I just want to talk a little bit about it because it's, I love your book. And, and the beautiful thing about your book is that not only do you talk about these things, but then you leave that space to help us do the things so it's like there's instructions like not in a this is the only way to do it kind of way but in a hey this is this concept and now here's how you can apply it right don't just read about it how do you do it and and I love that um so I just want to know like first of all why did you write the book like where did the idea come from like what did you wake up one day and thought a book needs to be written. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know. Quite the opposite. For years, I was like, no, I don't want to. I don't want to write a book. Um, <laughs> leave me alone, book. <laughs> um, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It came out of the inspiration to, to write the book. And then again, I like resisted it for a while, just because I am a commitment phobe. <laughs> this is, is going to take some time to like sit down and write a book, um, which it did. It took from beginning to end about three years to write the book. Uh, mm -hmm. Something that I was never told in writing a book for an established publisher is that the editing process of a book takes a year unto itself. Like yeah. spending a year and a half writing this manuscript, getting it just the way that you want it, handing it into the editor, and then they slice it into little bits and hand it back to you in a body bag. And they're like, here you go, rewrite half the book. And that begins a year of editing. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew going into the process, I was like, okay, this is, I'm, I'm going to need to commit if this is going to happen. Um, so I resisted it for a while, but the initial inspiration came from, um, twofold. I have been coaching uh, at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition for about 13 years now. Uh, and it's a really cool piece of my work um, that is, it's, it's kind of on the side a little bit. Um, oh, I wouldn't say separate from the meditation piece, but it doesn't, it doesn't get the, the spotlight 
that the meditation piece gets. It's almost like this, this is mm-hmm. my personal work. This is what I do on the side. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I, I coach the incoming coaches in the coaching program at IIN. So it's, it's people who are training to become health coaches and we do these group coaching programs and I've, I've been doing it for 13 years and it's groups of pre- predominantly women, I would say from across 35 countries and working with a hundred people at any given time in any given cohort in these groups and um, hearing the, the perspective and the lived experience of all of these women who come from such disparate places, right? Different ages, um, different uh, religious or spiritual backgrounds, um, different abilities in their body, um, different cultural expectations. Um, I mean, just like a really wide array of human experiences. And something that I was hearing over and over and over and over again, no matter who they were, where they come from, um, what their background is, is a feeling of not being enough um and and how it it shows up in a variety of different ways of like i don't know enough i don't have enough experience i um you know i'm like not tall enough or pretty enough or thin enough i'm not um you know i'm not well equipped enough i don't have enough um support in my life i don't have enough resources i you know just this 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 continual turning back towards what is not enough, whether it be about them or their circumstances. Um, and how quickly I was, I was hearing how quickly, how, um, circumstantial not enoughness, which is very real, um, for people of, of just not having enough, um, gets internalized into a sense of not being enough. Mm -hmm. And just hearing this manifest in, in so many different ways across the board, I was like, damn, I thought it was just me. <laughs> I thought it was just me who Word. always felt like, oh, I'm not quite blank enough, you know, that imposter right. syndrome, that feeling of not enoughness. Um, you know, I don't have enough time. I didn't get enough sleep. There's not enough bah. Um and just how that's like a lens that I have found myself wearing moving through the world of just not enoughness and, and realizing like, oh no, oh, this has nothing to do with me. Like most things, it's not actually about me. <laughs> like this is, <laughs> this is some, surprise, surprise. <laughs> strange. Um, like this is a, this is a, 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 like a, like a widespread kind of like systemic issue, challenge, concern. Um, so that, that was the first piece of like, you know, just applying curiosity. What is this? What is this thing? What is this thing? Um, and I talk about it a little bit in the book, tea and cake with demons. Um, you know, as, as a scientist, if you saw one dead fish wash up on the shore, you would go, oh, it's a dead fish. But if you started to see like hundreds of fish washing up on the shore, you would test the water. Like what is in the water? What what is in the water that that could potentially be leading to this result? Um, so that was the first piece, and 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 then putting together how my meditation practice and how Buddhist studies for me have been instrumental in investigating that feeling of not enoughness and beginning to work with it 
a little bit to, to, to kind of shift that narrative for myself. Um, so that was the first piece that inspired me to write the book. And then the second piece was teaching at Mindful, teaching these drop-in meditation classes um, for years at that point um, and how something would happen where newcomers to meditation would start to find that that thing that we were talking about earlier where it's like, oh, I have some like genuine enthusiasm for this, this practice. It, it like actually feels good to sit and mm-hmm. practice and work with my own mind and work with my own internal atmosphere. Um, what's next? It was always the question of like, so what's next? Where, <laughs> where can I learn more about this? Where can I understand more? And I would start to point people to books that I have found to be helpful and even like physically walk their bodies over to the bookshelf at Mindful and say, you know, this book, this book, this book, this book. But so rarely people would actually pick up those books and read it. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, what if I just kind of took all, all of my experience here um, what I have found to be useful, helpful, beneficial in understanding meditation practice and, and what we're actually looking at when we sit down and look at our own minds. Because it's one thing to like sit down, be with our thoughts, be with our emotions. Um, but, but to have like a little bit of a guidebook, like here, here's what you might be encountering um, and to put it all in one place, um, which ended up being the book. So it's, it's kind of a mashup between those two. I love that. I'm always fascinated how things come to life. Aren't you, Andrea? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm actually envisioning the whole thing right now. Like I'm watching it birth. Me too. In your description. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, that's perfect. (laughs) So what's your favorite part of the book? Oh, wow. That's a really good question. Um, it's so strange for me to go back and read the book because it's like encountering me and my thought process back in 2017, which, you know, as we all know, a lot has happened since 2017. <laughs> Just, Just a little. <laughs> things have changed. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's always interesting to go back to the book because it is, it's like, um, it's like a timestamp of self in space mm-hmm. and time. Mm-hmm. Um, and to go back to it and like, it, it's like being in conversation with a former iteration of self. Um, mm. Yeah. So that's probably my favorite part of the book is, is being able to, to go back and like be in conversation with a, you know, a former, a former iteration of self and, and just see like what has shifted for me since then and and how, I think about mm-hmm. these things differently and, and, you know, maybe my understanding has, has gotten like richer and fuller in some places. Um, yeah, I think maybe the other favorite part of the book and something that I think about a lot, and this gets back to understanding the self through spiritual work, um, is in the second part of the book, um, I get into the, the the four noble truths of Buddhism and Mm -hmm. the second noble truth is the reason why as human beings, we experience suffering. Like why do we experience suffering? So Mm -hmm. first noble truth is 
suffering exists, period. It's just a, a part of the human experience. And it, it comes in a lot of different shapes and forms, everywhere from like low grade annoyance and frustration, or even just like mm-hmm. feeling like a little kind of restless in your own body, right? Where it's like, we're always kind of like looking for the exit, always looking to, to kind of like, mm-hmm. I don't know, spice it up a little bit or know, make things just like a little bit better. Maybe if I like shift my arm or, you know, like scratch that itch, like there's this low grade restlessness that we feel just in being human. Um, All the way up to like very discernible suffering where it's like, oh yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Clearly level 12 suffering, heartbreak. Right. Um, so the second noble truth is, okay, well, if as a human being, this is kind of baked into the fabric of our existence, why? <sighs> why? <laughs> like what, <Yeah. laughs> what, what, like what causes this? Um, which I think is just such a pragmatic approach. Like, okay, yeah. first let's name this thing that we all experience. Um, we're not trying to like gloss it over or like, you know, put glitter on it and make it like a little bit better. Right. We're just, we're point blank. This is a part of the human experience. Second part, why? Um, and I think for me in the, in the years that have passed since I, I wrote the book, um, that has been sort of the, the realm of, of my practice is that second noble mm-hmm. truth piece. Um, and where I, I find myself the most interested um, is just in understanding these these three root poisons. So hypothetically, from the perspective of, of Buddhist philosophy, um, the reason why we as human beings experience dissatisfaction, discomfort, suffering of any shape um, is because of attachment, clinging, fixation. There's something that we like, love, want. Um, and we get very, we get very attached to that very quickly, which is just mm-hmm. a part of being a human being. Nothing wrong about that. Nothing bad. There's the, the non-judgment, right? We're just looking at this in a non-judgmental Absolutely. way. Absolutely. Um, it's just, it's just baked in. Um, the second piece of it is aversion or aggression, which is what tends to happen when our attachment doesn't get what it wants. And it's a strong sense of like, no, I don't want that. There's, there's, there's a pushing away of anything that is uncomfortable, anything that is less than preferable. I don't want it. And generally we're like vacillating between these two polarities all the time. I like this. I don't like that. This is delicious. This is disgusting. I want this. I don't want that. And like always kind of navigating the world from this orientation of like pushing and pulling, um, which, you know, from this perspective is where all tension, all stress is created is in the pushing and pulling between I want and I don't want. And then the third root poison, which I think is really interesting is um, ignorance. It's called ignorance, which could be ignoring. So ignoring ignorance, um, which is turning away from the the kind of like, I can't, I can't even look at this. So I'm just going to pretend it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Um, 
which again, you know, staying busy <laughs> and, and is like, mm-hmm. is a really good form of just like not looking, not seeing. Um, or it could show up, ignorance could show up as um, the way in which we tend to centralize ourselves in every experience. So mm-hmm. it's a silly thing to say that like, we kind of never grow out of feeling like we're the center of the earth. <laughs> you know, like, and you can, I mean, Jess, I wonder if you've seen this in, in, you know, in your daughter, you know, there's, there's a, there's a period that we go through where it's like, everything revolves around me. I mean, I'm. this morning I was dead asleep and this little person comes into my room and goes, when are you waking up? Because I'm awake. Right. <laughs> and I was like, it's the first night I've slept. Through night. <laughs> you know? and I was, Could you not just let me be? <laughs> <You know? laughs> totally. Totally. I mean, it's seen so clearly through kids, but, but we like, kind yeah. of, we kind of never grow out of that sense of like, <laughs> right. but what about me? Um, and yeah. so we're always just kind of, kind of trying to like rearrange our circumstances around I, me, and mine. You know, mm-hmm. what, about, what, what about me? Um, so these three pieces, um, and, and, you know, particularly kind of like that self-centralized idea. Mm-hmm. And then how can I get what I want and avoid what I don't want um, leads to all of the tension, the stress, the suffering the discontent, the dissatisfaction. Um, and so it, it really is a practice of, of, of working with these three pieces, um, kind of massaging them, not denying them, but, but really getting curious about them. You know, how, where, where and how does this show up? And how does this potentially self-perpetuate my own suffering? Right. And on, on what level or what degree is, is this showing up? Yeah. Right. You know, I mean, if you're in 11, level 12, there may need to be some adjustments, you know, if, if it's in your control to take that down or, or whatever. Right. But, but to what degree is it showing up? Cause you know, when you describe that push and pull, it sounds exhausting. No wonder a lot of us are tired. Right. I mean, Ooh, but it's so easy to relate to 100%. No, when you think of society and expectations and, and culture, Mm -hmm. it just, is life not at its norm currently, right? That push and pull that back and forth. And when you bring up the three pieces that you were describing, I was really paying attention because I was down in that because, you know, I call it my old stories Mm. that I don't want to let go of, or I'm having a challenge letting go of. So it was nice to hear it presented in a different way, but it's so much a part of who you are for each person that you don't realize, you know, you just keep bumping up against it. And you're like, why am I bumping up against you? I know that you're not helpful any longer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's where meditation comes in. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Slowing you down enough to see that you're slamming yourself up against Mm -hmm. a wall. Mm -hmm. And do you want to keep doing that? Yeah. Entirely. Yeah. So beautifully said. Yeah. Interesting. I love that. 
My mind just, is working faster than the rest of me. <laughs> Integrating it and sticking yeah. it in. Just like, okay. <laughs> I love so, that. So tell us, how can people find you? Um, because uh, we need to know more. They want to know yeah, more. Great question. People can find me on my website, uh, which is just adrianalimbach.com um, or on Instagram. Same, my name, Adriana Limbach. Um, and I have a bunch of just meditation recordings that are out there on my website um, that people can access. So particularly for those of us who are just starting a meditation practice um, and you know, we're, we're doing our due diligence and we're poking around and finding a style mm-hmm. of meditation that, that really um, lands with us. Um, yeah. In the, in the poking around of things, I have a, a bunch of meditation videos on my website. Great. Thank you. Thank you. I have one final question. Yeah. One final question. If you take a deep breath and you release it and you just mm-hmm. let it go, what is the one thing that pops in your mind that you feel like people need to know about right now in this moment? Hmm. I think it's always really nice to get a reminder that no matter who you are, where you are, what your life circumstances look like right now, that you are already whole, complete, unbroken enough in a way that is so fundamental to your being that it cannot be added to through your accomplishments and it cannot be subtracted from through your mistakes or your foibles. It is just the essential baseline of who you are by virtue of being a human being. Whole, complete, enough, unbroken. Oh, I love that. Yes. On that note, thank you. Thank Thank you. No more words. That was it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me to chat with you. Welcome. <laughs> hey, everybody. On. Listen, have a, have a nice adventure this week. I hope you get to try something new and perhaps um, go to her website, Instagram, and poke around some meditations. Thank you. Thanks for being a part of today's Adventures with Spirit. Subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. We'd love it if you left a review. Visit our website at adventureswithspirit.com to subscribe to our newsletter, submit a question, check out classes, and schedule your own personal reading with us. Follow us on Instagram at Adventures with Spirit Official for more inspiring content. Here's to being adventurous.